Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hey, and welcome to the New Books in Music podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lee Nash. Rebecca Tahuz Dubrow is currently the writer in residence with the University of California. Her book, Personal Stereo, which is part of the Object Lessons series published by Bloomsbury, is a study of the evolution and impact of the personal stereo. The book is also a reflection on what it means to listen to music within a private bubble and looks at the nostalgic value of the device. It's my pleasure to welcome Rebecca to today's podcast. Hi, Rebecca. How are you doing today? Hi, Steve. I'm doing well, thanks. Before we uh, before we talk about uh, personal stereo, um, if you could tell us uh, a little bit something about yourself and uh, your education, educational background, and your current career. Sure. Well, I studied literature as an undergrad at Yale University, and uh, that's it. I don't don't have any advanced degrees. Um, I have been a freelance writer for for quite a while, basically since I finished college way back in 2001, and um, have have written a range of kinds of stories, uh, kind of a balance between more reported pieces and essays and book reviews. And this is my first book in which I attempted to kind of integrate all of those different kinds of work I just mentioned, doing some reporting and research and also more essayistic writing and analysis. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, your current position as writer-residence at the University of California? Sure. So it's at the University of California at Irvine, specifically. And it basically just means that I have an office on campus and I have library privileges and um, access to online resources and um, and I participate in events on campus. I've done a, a couple events related to this project and other events as well. So it's it's not exactly a job. It's not like a full time job. It's just kind of an affiliation. Uh, I know you're not the editor in such of this object lesson series, but I've been really curious about this series for a really long time. But your book was actually. Uh, the first that I'd read from this series, which is has got like 50 books in, I'm pretty sure it's pretty huge. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the reason was, you know, that the Walkman or the personal stereo was like something very personal to me. Like I had one when I was a kid and I loved it so yeah. much. Um, but uh, could you tell us just a little bit about this Object Lessons series that Bloomsbury um, publishes and how your book fits into that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact number. You may be right that it's roughly 50 by now. It's been around for several years, and um, there are a whole variety of objects, of course. Um, remote control is one that I read. Each So the title of each book is the name of an object that the book focuses on. 
And um, what are some others? There's phone booth, there's golf ball, there's tree. So you can get a sense of the range. There's also some subjects that aren't technically objects that are more like phenomena, um, but they, they grant a little leeway to include them in the series too. There's my friend Evan Kinsley uh, wrote a book called Questionnaire. That's a great book. And that's actually how I found out about the series was from him. Um, what else? There's Silence. Um, Jet Lag is one that was released in the same batch as mine. So really, it's just uh, not necessarily a physical object, although many of them are, but um, kind of just an, each one is an opportunity um, to look at a, a given phenomenon in depth and in kind of idiosyncratic ways. And, and just it's an opportunity for a meditation on, on whatever the phenomenon of choice is. Um, so you obviously wrote one about the personal stereo. Um, yes. Yeah. So, um, so what were your, your own uh, first memories and experiences of a personal stereo? Well, um, so yeah, my book is about the Walkmen. Um, and we debated whether to title it Walkmen or personal stereo. Um, we, one reason we went with, there were some legal concerns about using the title Walkman because that's a Sony trademark. Uh, so, so we went with personal stereo, even though most people know it just as the Walkman. Um, and, and that's what I typically call it as well. But, um, so I, like you just had really fond memories and an emotional attachment to my Walkman when I was younger. And uh, I just remember listening to it, um, when taking walks, riding buses, and it was just this euphoric experience and or this comforting experience depending on you know the context and the music and uh, how I was feeling at the time but um, I just I just really loved my Walkman and and it was this great companion to have when I was younger so um, thinking about that it, it was just that was kind of the initial attraction to writing about it with those memories. Yeah, well, that's actually pretty interesting because, you know, in your book, uh, you take us through the evolution of the Sony Walkman and the various kind of prototypes that Sony put out there before it officially launched uh, in 1979. But I I was interested in this other actor uh, in, the, in the personal stereo story uh, that doesn't actually get like a lot of credit. So could you tell us about this guy, Andreas Pavel? Yeah, so Andreas Pavel, Pavel uh, was German. He was born in 1945 in, uh, outside Berlin. And his family moved when he was a boy to Brazil, to Sao Paulo, and, uh, because for his father's work there. He was a businessman. And he, Pavel was a music lover and um, was also very familiar with audio equipment. And he, would listen to this hi-fi music with friends in, in his mother's house in Sao Paulo. Like he would have parties all the time and they became just enthralled by the, this hi-fi sounds that, that they were able to get in that room that, in, that where they had these parties. Um, so in 1972, he, Andreas Pavel and his girlfriend at the time uh, were going traveling in Europe and 
Andreas decided he needed to find a way to reproduce that experience um, in a mobile, portable way um, because he had just grown to love that music so much. Um, so he kind of experimented with some combining some devices that were available on the market. He, he actually used a Sony tape recorder um, that to now, now to us would just seem just so clunky and bulky. It weighed, it weighed five pounds, but that was kind of the miniature tape recorder at the time. And, um, and he found these really high quality headphones produced by a company. Uh, the, the brand was Pioneer. And um, he kind of um, jerry-rigged it so that he, he, was, he had to use this special cord to connect the headphones to what were intended to be louds loudspeaker um, jacks. Anyway, so it worked quite well. And even though it was a little clunky, um, it was it was just amazing. He he and his girlfriend, he actually connected two headphones to the device. So they were able to listen together. They were in Switzerland in the mountains and it was snowing and it was this just magical, indelible experience. They were listening to um, a cover of What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. That was the first song they heard. And um, so he, first, he wasn't intending to sell it himself or patent it or anything like that. He just he just wanted the experience. But um, over the next few years, he did begin to think that maybe he should patent it because it was surprisingly to us now, it was like really um, no one had... The idea of wearing, of walking around wearing headphones was really a, a new idea, and it, it was a very strange idea at the time. And um, so it, he he decided to try to patent it, and basically he patented it and ended up having, but it couldn't get anyone to any companies interested in marketing it. And then when Sony ended up marketing the Walkman a couple of years later, they ended up having a protracted legal battle. Um, and ultimately he, Pavel lost in court, but, but was able to get a settlement from Sony, um, in, I believe 2005. So it was, it dragged on for, for decades, but he eventually got some vindication that he was the inventor. Yeah. That's amazing. That's such a great story because again, like, you know, we know the Sony Walkman story yet. Like I didn't know about this guy until I read your book and, uh, to me, you know, like his story and his interpretation of what a personal stereo was, was just like, it's so much more uh, magic, magical, uh, so mm-hmm. much more like transcendual and, and it's the freedom of, you know, kind of, uh, it was, it's, that's more in tune with the way that I experienced yeah. the, my Sony Walkman or my uh, variation. I think I did have a Sony Walkman, but I think I also had like some other makes as well, like over the years and stuff. So. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's almost like there's two sides to that story. Yeah, he was very, very passionate about it and, and um, very proud of it. I was able, to, he's still alive and I was able to yes. talk to him. So that, that was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whilst, whilst I was reading your book, um, I kept slipping into my own kind of Walkman memories. And one of which was sitting in the back seat of my parents' car while we were driving on holiday and bellowing out Pearl Jams once just continuous mm. continuously like my, I was really bugging my parents with this so I, I really can't hear that song or the, even that whole album in fact uh Pearl Jam's 10 without being instantly transported back to that back seat of sitting in my parents car uh-huh. uh so are there any songs um that instantly remind you of your Walkman and that you can't hear 
without being sort of transported back. So what I really loved the best, there were certainly albums that I listened to a lot on the Walkman. And I think I refer in the book to Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, you Peppers. do? Yes. Yeah. I listened, yeah, I listened to that a lot when I was walking. And, and so I, yeah, I, I do, if I ever hear like Under the Bridge, <laughs> I remember that. Um, yeah. And there, you know, I would, of course, make mixtapes and there are songs that, uh, that, you know, I, I was really into, you know, alternative music, but I also loved Madonna, not all Madonna. I would never listen to a Madonna album, but I, I loved, um, I loved pop songs too. So there were some pop songs that I would put on my mixtapes. And, um, so I'm like a prayer was certainly on one of my mixtapes. Um, Beat It by Michael Jackson. So some of these songs would probably bring me back to that yeah. experience. Yeah, and you know, um, again, this book kind of made me think of another film actually, which uh, was High Fidelity. Um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is in that uh, the main character kind of gives you this um, actually like talks to the camera about how making a mixtape is like this perfect art form. Yeah. And so I used to spend an awful lot of time perfecting that as well. Like, you know, the tape has to start with this really like mm -hmm. kick-ass song that, and then build and then go come down a little right. bit and then build again. So, yeah, that kind of took me back to uh, making those. And actually something that I really miss now because um, I have a Spotify account which randomly plays me songs. And, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. it just doesn't match the way that the tape kind of uh, your own tape, even if you make your own playlist, it just doesn't work the same way. I don't know if you find that too. Yeah, yeah. And when you would listen to those mixtapes over and over again, you would just memorize the order and you would just, you know, at the end of one song, you would just start to hear the next one even before it started. And I think that's an experience people don't have nearly as much nowadays they don't even have that with albums because people don't listen to albums as much. So um, I think that that is a loss. I think so. And I think also as well, again, like with Spotify or with even like digital music, you have this perfect, um, everything on it is just perfect. You know, everything mm -hmm. sounds great. When you, have, when you listen to a cassette tape, you know, over, over the years, because these things lasted a long time, the little warps, the little twists in the tape almost became part of the experience. And yeah. uh, again, with Spotify, like everything just sounds so crystal clear that there's no real kind of like, it doesn't trap memory. Like I think you did when, when right. I was a kid, you know, with, uh, with like, you know, little twists in, in the tape and stuff like that, that kind of made the song, you know, just speed up or slow down or something for like, for just for a moment, it became sort of part of the, uh, yeah, part of the kind of listening yeah, experience. The, kind of the physicality of the object of the tape. Yeah, yeah, which I, I miss in, in all senses, actually, in all this kind of digital world. I mean, I'm I'm sort of in my late 30s, so I I grew up with a lot of this stuff, but I'm adapting. It's okay. So um, in the book, uh, you talk about the Walkman being a departure from sensory norms. This idea that the Walkman acts like an intoxicating high and, and I quote your book here, offered such an individualized and immersive experience for the listener. 
Um, I really like this concept. In fact, actually, we were kind of just talking about that. And would you mind just to kind of explaining that point in your book just a little bit more? So I think in that part of the book, I was trying to convey what a novel experience it was at the time in the late 70s, because now it's just part of life um, and it, it can be hard to recapture how new it was and how strange it was. But um, yeah, people, the experience of moving through the world and having this soundtrack um, and, you know, music that basically felt like it was almost originating in your own head and moving through the the world and seeing images, um, people compared it to being in a film or watching a film. They also often compared it to drugs, various kinds of intoxication. Um, So that, it, it wasn't that you couldn't bring entertainment with you at all um, before the Walkman. You could read a magazine. You could, you know, the boom boxes were popular at that time in the, in the mid-70s. But it was not as, as, you read that quote, it was not as individualized if you were carrying a boom box. It was, um, it, it was kind of imposing your music on everyone around you as well. Um, and it wasn't as immersive. You weren't as immersed in the sounds and um, in a way that kind of divided you from the rest of your environment. So um, although this is now a, a very common experience, um, at the time it was very new. And so that's kind of like um, the, uh, the internal experience that people were having. But let's talk about kind of what the external uh, site of that was. So you talk about the site of someone with like with headphones on their head, uh, walking around listening mm-hmm. to their music. And that's something that was quite odd at the time. And the perception of these people from an external point of view was that they were disconnected from their surroundings. And as you mentioned in the book, yeah. they were having a superior experience listening to the latest records. Why do you think people were so concerned about what was happening uh, on those headphones? Why do you think people were so concerned about people drifting out of the world for a, a few moments? Again, it was new, so it was quite disorienting to see people just be able to kind of opt out of public space in that way. And part of it was, as you mentioned, it seems like they were having a superior experience because they were just really um, getting off on their music and you were, and the people around them who weren't listening to music were just kind of stuck with their everyday commute or wherever they were. And um, so so that kind of sent a, a message that people sometimes didn't receive very well. Um, and, and even in just other ways that, can be mundane ways like you know if somebody needed directions um you you were wearing a walkman you just didn't seem available to provide them um it just seemed antisocial. uh if someone was asking for if someone was hurt um and you were just zoned out <laughs> closing your eyes listening to music you wouldn't even be aware of it so it kind of um in these different ways, some of which were more subtle than others, it kind of eroded the quality of public space, or at least that's how some people felt. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever been guilty of this, but um, 
I've I've definitely walked around, uh, you know, through neighborhoods that I'm not too happy about walking around or through busy malls or whatever. We've just a set of headphones mm-hmm. on, but actually not listening to anything just oh, because I want to yeah. be like, yeah, left, left alone. alone. Yeah. And that the perception there is that I'm obviously got something going on on my headphones. So, uh, yeah, you know, I don't get approached by the, uh, you know, by the charity worker who is trying to get me to sign up to uh, give them a monthly donation right. or whatever. And, you know, that kind of feels bad. But it's kind of hard to admit that. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's definitely something that I have to do sometimes when I'm just not in the mood. Yeah. Right? So, so there was definitely that aspect. I mean, sometimes people just wanted to listen to music and, and it was the um, being cut off from their surroundings was kind of just a side effect. Other times people did intentionally want to escape their surroundings and didn't want to interact with other people around them and whether it was in their cars with their families, as you, you mentioned before, or, um, or wanting to avoid people asking them for things on the street or um, one interesting aspect that came up was it turned out that some women uh, who wanted to avoid being catcalled or harassed on the streets would put on their headphones and found that that helped. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we look at the Walkman now, we kind of do look at it almost in a nostalgic way anyway, but um, I feel like we're way more cut off now uh, than we were back yes. then. And, you know, people had serious problems with with that. But now, you know, we walk around with our iPhones, we're listening to music, we're uh, checking our email, we're looking at the news, we're, we might be watching a video. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, I feel like we're so much more cut off than we were back then. Um, but yet no one seems to have a problem with it now. So obviously we've, we've adapted somehow as a society. Maybe I, I do think I have a problem with it. So, and I think, I mean, I, I think clearly it's, it's much more extreme than it was. Um, but I do, I do think it's troubling. Um, I think in both cases, there are obviously pluses and minuses and, um, I loved listening to my Walkman, but I can also understand the concerns now. And, um, and of course, I, I see why there are benefits to being able to entertain ourselves or be productive um, in, in, while we're taking the train to work or whatever. Um, but I think there are concerns about how all of, the, all of our technology use has affected public space and it continues to affect it in kind of more extreme ways. Um, so let's talk a little bit about like how the uh, music industry responded to the popularity of the Walkman, because uh, as with the Walkman, like with everything else that the music industry has to deal with, they're like so far behind actually um, kind of jumping on this, like, you know, digital music, they weren't ready for that you know, uh, Napster, they weren't ready for that. And they weren't ready for the Walkman either. I think it's more that they weren't ready for um, cassettes. And of course, the Walkman was, uh, was related to that because the Walkman accelerated the shift from vinyl to cassettes. Um, So yeah, there was this, and their concern was that with blank tapes, people were able to dub their dub albums, make mixtapes, and basically the consumers all of a sudden had had a lot more control and didn't necessarily always have to buy the albums they wanted directly from um, the music corporations. So, um, so that caused a lot of hand wringing um, in the music industry, and there were these campaigns and. 
in fact, the more famous one was was in the UK. Um, home taping is killing music. Was um, there were these, I guess, advertisements, and and also that phrase was included in in albums in the sleeves of all the of these records that were released during that period. Um, so yeah, they were just even though it seems very quaint now, they were really freaked out about what they called home taping. So towards the end of the book, uh, you seem to, I, I think you, you've kind of just covered this a little bit, just the previous question, actually, but let's go into it again. Uh, towards the end of the book, uh, you seem to find issue with um, with our freedom um, to listen to any song. So again, we've spoken about so- uh, Spotify. Um, mm-hmm. Now we have kind of unlimited capabilities in terms of what we listen to. And you seem to like the idea of control and restriction. And I, I think that's a great idea too, in some respects, because I, I don't know about you, but I can barely get through a song on Spotify without trying to click to the next one. You know, when, when we had cassette tapes, we had to we really had to listen to the end. You could try and skip forward, but you might miss the beginning of the song. Um, so why do you think this kind of idea of control and restriction is preferable? Hmm. I think there are a couple different reasons. Um, I think part of it is related to what you just said, that when you it's it's like on it's like dating right it's um when you know that there are so many options out there it can be hard to focus on what's right in front of you or what you're listening to at the time and um sometimes that kind of restriction or commitment um can force you to focus and to just derive a lot more gratification than you otherwise would if you were just looking around for what's the the next thing the next um the next person or the next song or whatever it may be um i thought like it was a really interesting point that you made in the book and you know it's it's been something that i've been thinking about as well because you know a friend of mine forwarded me forwarded me a link to a spotify playlist that he put together and uh um you know i didn't i didn't even bother to look at the track list or anything like that i just put it straight on and you know, I just, when when a friend used to hand me a cassette tape, it was kind of like, all right, what do we, okay, let's look at the inlay card. Oh, you know, great design and great tracks. And uh, yeah, this, you know, the, my friend there had obviously put in some time with this playlist and uh, I didn't really give it the time that I would have probably done if he'd given me like a physical format. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the word I was looking for is scarcity. Um, <laughs> so like I have a five-year-old daughter and she, um, I, I, I just think children today or children in any kind of affluent society, it's hard for them or adults in any affluent society. It's, it's hard. They don't, it, we, we read little house on the prairie and those, <laughs> those girls had, you know, they had one dress or they had for Christmas, they would get one present and they would be so ecstatic and, so that just shows you how scarcity has its benefits and that it's it's really hard to treasure something in the same way when you're living in circumstances of abundance. So I think um, having, you know, five tapes, of course, I'm not, I don't want to romanticize it too much and, um, and be a Luddite, but obviously there are benefits to abundance as well. But I think sometimes we overlook the benefits of yeah, scarcity. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I, I see your point. I have a six-year-old son oh, okay. who has yeah. uh, grown up with uh, Netflix, YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like any TV show is his disposal, basically. Whereas, you know, when me growing up as a kid, it was uh, 
TV, kids, kids TV in the morning for maybe two hours. And that was kind of your lot. So yeah, yeah. it's, uh, it's good. So um, now I have to admit that I probably gave up on my Walkman long after I should have given up on it. I kept it quite <laughs> some time. But anytime I tried a new device, such as like the CD Walkman, or one of the very early MP3 players that, that came onto the market, which stored about 15 songs, it wasn't much at all. Um, I, was, yeah. I was always disappointed. You know, I, I used to have this very long walk to work every morning. And when I got my CD Walkman, I put it in, the, in my back pocket or in my bag, and it would just skip around all over the place. Like if you walked off a curb, or something yeah. like it's awful. Um, so when did you finally give up and move on? And uh, what device and apps do you use now to listen to music? So I never had a Discman, which is another word for the CD uh, players. I, yeah, I agree from trying them out or even just seeing them. They're just not good products. They, they're big and cumbersome and heavy. And, um, and I understand they skipped a lot. So I never had one of those and I never had an early MP3 player. And I continued to listen to my Walkman into, I believe, 2006, um, when my now husband's gave me uh, an iPod. Um, it was an iPod nano i think and and i did really love the ipod i have to say um so i listened to that for for quite a few years although i unfortunately lost it a few years ago i would still listen to it now if i had it but um now i i do we have you know apple music we also have records we have a record player and i, I do like to listen to records um and i have a walkman now um, I lost my own original Walkman somewhere along the way, but during the course of writing this book, a friend of mine gave me a Walkman and, um, and I do listen to it and I really enjoy listening to it. I, when I go for walks at night, sometimes I'll bring it along. So is that the same, is that the same Walkman that finishes your book? Because there is like an epilogue at the end there that you talk about a friend giving you a, a, a personal stereo. Yeah, that same one? it's it's actually not. Um, that was one that a friend lent to me uh, because I, I wanted to just try one out after all these years and see what it was like. And um, so a friend who lives near me lent me that. But then another friend who just knew that I was writing this book happened to come upon one and that he didn't need. So um, he sent it to me. And, and that's the one that I listen to now. So actually, my, well, my next question was, and you know, I've told you kind of what I miss about the Walkman and, uh, and how Spotify doesn't quite make it the same, but uh, you've actually got a Walkman. So I don't know, this question may be redundant, but what do you, what do you <laughs> miss about the Walkman? Or I suppose, I guess, what that, you know, because you've got one, but the culture around it, I guess, what do you miss about the culture of the Walkman? Well, I think, or what do I like or appreciate about the Walkman now, um, I, I, I think the main thing is that I guess my alternative when I go for walks would be to listen to my iPhone, to listen to music on my iPhone. But um, that feels like a really different experience to me because it's connected to all these other functions. And what I love about the Walkman is that you can just kind of escape for a few moments. And, um, and with the smartphone, if you were wearing, listening to music through that, you would also be subject to receiving a call or a text or a news alert 
or the, you would be tempted to check your email or um, check Facebook or, or the million other things that people do on their phones. So it's not really the same kind of refuge. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really what I miss and what I appreciate about the walk. So you, you feel like it's a more immersive experience now? Now that you have this book, yeah, 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 I totally get that. Um, so um, this is your first book, am I right? Yeah. Great. Okay. And uh, so, what have you got any uh, like anything planned for the uh, your next book or your next writing projects? Um, I'm between projects. I'm working on a, a few ideas, um, maybe that could become potentially articles that might grow into books. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know yet. I definitely want to write another book and I haven't decided on a topic, but I, it may be, I, I could certainly continue to think about these issues of technology. Um, so I could definitely sustain my interest. And I, as I was saying before, I really, um, I really have a lot of problems with, with the way people use technology now. Uh, at the same time, writing this book forced me to realize that, of course, people had a lot of problems with the Walkman at the time, and that was something I loved. So it gave me really good perspective on how I shouldn't just judge technology because it's new and, and be averse to it because it's different, um, and that I should try to be rational about it and not just have these emotional reactions. But even so, I think there are some real concerns about the way people, and especially children, are exposed to technology these days. So um, that's one avenue that I might pursue. Well, that sounds fantastic. Um, Rebecca, I really wanna thank you for coming on uh, this podcast. Um, your book, I opened up so much for me in, in terms of like um, being more aware of how I was consuming my music and it felt made me feel like nostalgia for when I was a kid and actually got me listening to some Pearl Jam again. So. Thanks for that. And also, you know, this object lesson series as well. Um, this was the first book that I read of that series. And now I am really interested in kind of reading a lot more. So it's really good. I really want to thank you for coming on. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you.